0: Juliano, it is Saturday, September 7th, 2019. Pete, we've been gone so long. I don't even remember. What's the number? What number is this?
1: number is 213. Wow, 213. Two two, hey, two, Ralph, Ralph, crank it in. 213. Crank two it one, in, three. man.
0: Calibrate. But,
1: but there's it's an important anniversary. What's that? Well, the first podcast I participated in was 163. Uh huh. This is number fifty. This is this number is, 50. fifty. Fifty. Number fifty. Number fifty. Number 50. In, the, yeah. in the epoch of Giuliano. Number fifty, and I'm also very delighted that our good friends in Alabama were missed by the hurricane. <laughs> 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 Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> hey, listen, we've been gone for big, a long
1: time. Big we... shout out for you, you down there in Foreland. Glad, glad it missed you.
0: <laughs> Close one there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Hey, uh, listen, we've been gone for a long time. This is like one of our longest periods of absence from the fiber optic cable. It's, oh. been, it's been almost three months. But that's Okay. Yeah. Because it's summertime. This is like the old tradition. Remember the TV shows used to go away in the summertime? Hiatus. 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 We were in the summer doldrums and all that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, you you know,
0: it has been having some bad effects on some of our listeners. I I don't know if you you realize this, Pete, but uh, Dave Wilcox, K8WPE, wrote not long ago that he was suffering from the solder smoke withdrawal symptoms. We may be we may be the subject of legal action here for our neglect. Oh, yeah. Psychological trauma. We may have to yeah. call up the lawyers at Dewey, Cheatham and Howe to defend us. I don't think Dave's going to do this, but he, he, he actually cited a, a list of symptoms that he had been suffering because of his inability to listen. Trauma. To trauma. trauma. He said he was fidgety. <laughs> experiencing insomnia and poor concentration. Who? He he had become somewhat obsessive-compulsive in that he was frequently checking the podcast list for Solder Smoke updates. That's a bad Uh, sign. Yeah. And perhaps worst of all, our absence from his podcast feed had led to, to, quote, an ultra-sensitivity to his wife's commands.
1: Ooh, now that's the bad part. Now,
0: I don't know whether that means he was being ultra-compliant or (laughs) ultra-defiant. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, he's blaming us.
1: Yeah. So,
0: uh, anyway, Dave, we're back, and our listeners, we're we're back. We're happy to be back. We'll be back, I think, more frequently here as the the, the, the fall and winter months crank in. But you guys don't really have winter out there, Pete.
1: Uh, Yeah, right. Okay. No, we don't. We don't.
0: Well, you'll, you'll, you're, you're aware that it does happen to the rest
1: of us, Greg. Well, oh, yeah. Well, I lived in Pennsylvania and you I know. lived in the Northwest. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, I know about the, the mucklaw. Re- you remember.
0: <laughs> anyway, Pete, it's time to bring our, our listeners up to speed on the many, many uh, technical adventures that you've been involved in. And I've been involved in a few myself during the summer doldrums. But why don't you go first? And the things that I have first on the list, first. There, uh, you know, we we had made a statement there along the lines that you had built over the years more than three dozen uh, transceivers. So tell us, give us, give us an update on that number. Forty. Forty. I knew, I knew. you found a
1: few more. <laughs> yeah, a few more, a few more. Yeah. <laughs> Four well, zero. <laughs> I think on the last podcast I talked about tr- trying to get a software-defined radio state. Sorry. Yeah, well, anyway, uh, I, in the last podcast, which was right before field day, uh, we talked a bit about, uh, building some software-defined radios, homebrew, uh, Ravigs, as a radio and a rig. And I, I have since built, well, there's two versions, so you, they count as two transceivers, uh, version one and version two. They're both, both on the air, both, both transmitting and both working very, very nicely. If you, you go to my website, uh, n6qw radio genius.us you'll see uh there's some schematics and there's some detailed information uh discusses how to load the software onto the raspberry pi and i'm just um i'm just amazed that there's uh so much going on with a 35 dollar computer and and the signal quality is just uh really amazing i i like the fact that you have some Digital filtering that you can, you know, null out QRM to the side by just narrowing down the bandwidth. Transmitter signal has received some very good uh, reports. So uh, all in all, I'm pretty happy with it. And it's uh, the only problem now. It's spread out in the bench. And uh, I uh, matter of fact, one of them, <laughs> I got a I got a wire on and I shorted something out. So I got a little repair on the second one. But the uh, first one is perking along very, very nicely. So it, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I've got another, uh, transceiver project, uh, that I call the Paisano. Uh, and this Paisano is a left coast SSV transceiver and it builds on, um, some of the work that was done in the last sprat with the, uh, Peregrino. And I uh, got that working. That's going to be subject of an article so, for, for Spratt, so I'm not going to talk too much about that, but uh, it'll be revealed in full detail. And uh, I also built a CW transceiver, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: the, people think that there's like this this divide between us, but actually I've noticed over the years that over the last, at least over the last 50 episodes,
1: yeah. there's quite a bit of influence yeah. going both ways. Okay, tell that, us about the CW yeah. transceiver. Well, I have just a bunch of boards. As a matter of fact, um, interestingly enough, uh, several of the boards uh, came out of the LBS, the first uh, LBS project. Some some of the prototype work. I've got a I've got an actual discrete audio amplifier. Bill, I I I actually have that in a rig, and uh, it, it wastes a lot of heat, but uh, it works okay. And, uh, I've got the, the receiver board as a three-pole crystal filter. And then, uh, the transmitter section, actually, uh, I cannibalized a 30-meter CW transceiver that was the subject of a QR, uh, QRP quarterly article, because I never used it. And, um, that's the transmitter section. And now, uh, initially I had a VFO on it, a 5-megahertz VFO for the, because it's a 12-megahertz crystal filter for the receiver part, and then it was the transmitter was just crystal controlled. I've now figured out how to use all three Crocs on the uh, on the Arduino. So, And I've also figured out how to turn a clock on and turn it off. So uh, you only turn the clock on on transmit when you're going to transmit, and when you're done transmitting, the clock goes off. So uh, I, I finally figured out how to do that. And that information is up on the N6QW blog, and you can see how the code how it done. It says simple one line turns it on, simple one line turns it off. So it's kind of kind of cool. Uh, I I've, I I made sort of one contact. Uh, I I called CQ. The station called me back, and and the next thing you know, he got wiped out by the QRM. So so I do know. The frequency relationship you had to offset the transmitter by 600 hertz oh yeah i have i have that correct because you know i called cq he he came back to me so i know i know that i've got that correct yeah you know, it's kind of cool you can see that on the blog and uh, uh, also doing some fixing things uh <laughs> you know when it when it rains and pours when one breaks another breaks and then this is, this is weird bill mysteriously my beam is working again the radio gods have spoken (laughs) i don't know why i I can't (laughs) explain i can't explain it but but i'm sort of suspecting you know it's like there's a false sense there oh yeah it's working and and then it it stops working again so i i still don't know the reason why but but anyway that's that's what kind of i've been doing I should also mention we've been having some very warm weather. It's, it's almost impossible to work in the shack, which, of course, is in the garage. It's hitting like 95, 96 degrees in the garage, even with a fan that doesn't work too well.
0: I'm going to set up a GoFundMe site. We're going to get you an air conditioner. <laughs>
1: there you go. There you go. <laughs> Just
0: for the good of radio amateurs worldwide, you need yeah, you, this, you, you need some support.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: A uh, a, a couple of things. I really liked how I – And mean, I don't want you to press you into discussing of the Paisano because I know it's a – that's kind of like a Skunk Works project. It's got to remain under wraps until it's revealed, yeah. In, in Sprat, but I really liked how you referred to the Left Coast SSB. It's kind of like rock and roll, the Left Coast sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as we as we just passed the summer, the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, uh, and it also it reminded me of something that just popped up this morning. Um, our friend Eric Guth, 4Z1UG, has a has an interview this morning with Eric Sears, uh, uh, ZL1 BMI, the the, the guy yeah, yeah, I mean, I I was really pleased to see that. And Eric mentioned, they they mentioned in the conversation that um, that, uh, uh, they attributed this to me, I don't even remember saying it, but they said that I had sort of intimated that double sideband was a southern hemisphere phenomenon with the ZL2 BMI rig and then VK3YE uh, Peter Parker down there as another guru of uh, of double sideband. Yeah, you know I think it makes some sense. I mean, of course we have the, there were others, and, and and Eric pointed this out. He said, well, it was George Dobbs was promoting it for many years, and as was uh, Lou McCoy and uh, Lou McCoy and um, and Doug Demore, uh, Doug Demore probably more. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it was kind of fun And that. So I, I mean, I thought of that when you said the left coast sound. Hey Pete, you I know you've been having. a an amazing amount of fun with with the rad eggs and i think i think it's just really cool to, to watch it and uh and and i, I it, it just it just sounds sounds like a tremendous amount of fun you sent me the board and i have it in my hand right now for the peregrino this is the the little spanish mm-hmm. ssb uh, monobander rig and it's it is i guess the way to describe it i guess it, it the best way to describe it it's about the size of uh, a deck of cards, like the the dimensions yeah. of a deck of cards, or or a pack of cigarettes, and it's a really beautiful board, and I haven't stuffed any parts onto it or anything else, but but it looks it looks it looks like a lot of fun. You, you very kindly sent along uh, an appropriate little case for it. Um, it looks like from an old uh, kind of computer uh, monitor uh, uh, distribution box, but that I, I, that is on the pro- that is in my list of projects to to get to, but I haven't done it. Hey, listen, on the CW transceiver, that sounds like another really cool project. And I know how frustrating it be, can be sometimes to get out there and try to make the first contacts, especially when you're at low power level. What, what, how much power are you putting on
1: this thing? How much? Do you well, uh, I'm using the – actually, the transmitter board is an EMRFD board, the, the standard two N thirty eight sixty six. And I get a half a watt out of that thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what it says it'll do. And you get a half a watt, and I can put the afterburner on and get 50 watts out. What band are you on?
0: 40. Yeah, I know. And, and, you know, the thing about 40 these days, especially at the low end of the sunspot cycle, it's uh, it's very, it's, it's fickle during the course of a 24-hour period. And I, I have tried to go out on 40 with a half a watt at midday, and it's, it's like forget about it, you know, because yeah. the absorption is so high, signal levels are low. But then you come back late afternoon, early evening, and it's gangbusters. So yeah, the other thing I found that was really encouraging, and I'll, I'll talk about my own kind of CW adventures here in a minute. But you know, a tool that's available for those of us who are kind of daring the the ionosphere with half a watt or less, the reverse beacon network. That is, that's really amazing. I don't know if you, you've tapped into this, but when you're
1: yeah, testing, I, one I of did. Yeah. I did, and I could, did. I, that's see, how I knew it was working.
0: Well, yes. I, I, that's, that's a great tool. I mean, you just call yeah. CQ, and then you check the reverse beacon network for your own call sign, and you could see who's hearing you. And that's that's like the, you know, in the old days, the big question when you came on with a new rig or a new antenna was, am I getting out? Yep. And it was really kind of a yes or no answer. Either you were getting out or you weren't, right? And right. so this reverse beacon network is a great great way to tell if you are, in fact, Uh, Getting out, and it's. I'm glad you're 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 already already using that. I thought you might have forgotten. It's been so long since
1: you were on CW. No, no, and and by the way, the other the other thing that I I've been playing with is the new color OLEDs. The sixty five thousand color OLEDs. Oh man. They are really small, and you can get 65,000 colors out of them. I've, I've tried a bunch, although it's kind of subtle. You know, you change a few numbers, and, you, and it almost looks – it looks like varying shades of pink. But and, they, and, you it, know,
0: and the O is for organic, so they're good for you,
1: yeah, too. Yes, Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is I discovered there's one that had some spectacular color, but it was absolutely useless. And then I looked on the backside. They got a DC-to-DC DC converter. On the back of it, and it just has so much noise out of oh, it I mean, it's, un- it's unfortunate but the color is great but but it's just useless the other the other ones I found are are absolutely silent and so it's really kind of nice to uh to be able to use those and I've got one in the CW rig, and that was a kind of another uh, experimentation there. and and the way I've written the code is that when you uh when you go to transmit you'll you'll see the the transmit frequency. Uh, which is offset by 600, so you do know. And, and also, the Arduino lets me do CW upper and CW lower, so you can set the offset either above or below the receive frequency. I mean, it, it's just amazing what you can do with the Arduino, so you, you have a, a lot of options available to you. That's great. Hey, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, you uh, when I think when you were talking about
0: your, your early on-the-air experiences with the rad eggs. You had somebody you were in, in 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 contact with somebody, and somebody else was listening in. Is that right, or am, or am I yeah. just think, thinking yeah. about your work with another rig?
1: No, yeah, that's that's true. But I don't don't recall. I, I the same thing happened with
0: one of mine, and I had to go back and check the log. Shows you how long we've been away from the podcast. Yeah. yeah. But this was really pretty cool because you were on the air talking to somebody else in one of your first contacts, and then somebody else who I think was a podcast listener.
1: Yeah, happened, that's happened right.
0: Happened to be on frequency and yeah, sent that's you right. an email.
1: Yeah, that's right. I said I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> and then the same thing happened to me,
0: which was which was was pretty amazing. When I was fooling around with the uh, with the the QRP rigs that I guess we're going to talk about now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, I, we'll switch over from Pete's uh, left coast workbench, which is producing some amazing stuff. Oh wait, wait a second! But you've also been getting some reports around the world of people picking up on some of your older projects, right? Some some additional uh, N six QW rigs are being produced out there in the yeah, world,
1: correct? Yeah, it, it's just just amazing. Uh, you know, well, as a matter of fact, uh, just yesterday i got an email a guy a guy got a micro x and said i can't take the seasick green anymore <laughs> how do you put a deuce, how do you put a blue display in there you know i saw, I, said, saw that, I saw that yeah he, he said, i saw your i saw your video so uh, yeah it, it's kind of interesting i mean people see this stuff and uh they get interested in it, and they, they'll they'll say, can you send me the information, or can you send me the code? That's another thing I've been doing, is to a way to find out if people are working on this stuff. Um, on, on the blog, I'll say, if you really want to do this, send me an email, and I'll send you the code. So that's how I know people are working on stuff.
0: Right. Yeah, and it's not just sort of like, yeah, go ahead and send it to me. If they're actually working on yeah. it, it's a different thing. Yeah. Great stuff, Pete. Hey, listen, you know, I, I said before that we kind of inspire each other, but sometimes it's kind of in my case it's kind of in the opposite direction if you know what i mean so while you've been working on the rad rigs and as soon as you bring the raspberry pi and the si5351 into it the transistor count in those rigs goes <laughs> way off the charts right so i guess just to be a little bit contrary uh, and to explore the kind of the opposite end of the transistor count spectrum i i just just A while back, I guess earlier in the summer, I got the urge to kind of go minimalist. I don't know why. I mean, this is, I think, one of the benefits of of never getting rid of rigs, keeping them around you, because they lurk there for a long time. They'll be sitting there on the shelf for months or years, and all of a sudden you'll be sitting there, you're thinking, wow, I really would like to get on 40 meter CW with a quarter watt. Hmm. Wouldn't that be fun? After sometimes you're cursing yourself for having this thought as you get into the project, but sometimes it works out. But anyway, earlier in the summer I kind of had this thought, and I dragged off the shelf um, come kind of my one of my early attempts at kind of a minimalist rig. It was the uh, the tuna tin two by uh, by Doug Demore. Two transistors, two two n twenty twos, crystal control transmitter. I had it on forty. And then I also dragged off the shelf the uh, a, a receiver that we we talked about it a lot, the Herring-Aid 5. This was the receiver that took me 38 years to complete because I failed in building it as a teenager but then took it up again just recently and, and got the thing working. It's a direct conversion receiver for 40 meters. And a while back, my idea was, wouldn't it be great to put the two of them together and get on the air with a quarter watt on 40 meters, with a completely home CW station, using a grand total of about seven transistors. Because the Herring-Aid 5, the 5 means five transistors. The Tuna-Tin 2 that means two transistors. So it would be what I came to call the Fish Soup 7. And <laughs> I have it, I had it on a board. I took pictures of it. I've got it up on the blog. And I tried to make contacts with this thing. I made a few, but it was painful it was really painful. You know, and and the reason it was painful was mostly because the transmitter was crystal controlled. Back in the day, when people had receivers that were as broad as a barn door, and when they knew that they had to tune around because there might be some novice on crystal control, you didn't really have to worry about it too much. If some guy was calling CQ and you were fairly close, you'd respond, and boom, you'd have a QSO. These days... If you're not precisely in his very narrow passband, and I mean really narrow, what we're talking about 250, 300 hertz. If you're not right there, he's not going to hear you. And so you could, you could, you could think, wow, I'm going to have a contact. And then you'd call, boom, he's not going to hear you. So it, it was very discouraging. And I, I, I realized that what I needed was um, a variable frequency oscillator for the transmitter, and it would be great if the same variable frequency oscillator was driving the receiver. I would have a true uh, transceiver. And uh, so I began to work on that. I took a VFO that I had built. I built up a VFO. <clears throat> not, not one of your beloved SI5351s, by the way. Just a regular old transistorized VFO. Based on a design out of solid-state design for the radio amateur. Everyone bow their heads. Um, anyway, I, I took this this VFO... And started working on getting it to drive both the direct conversion receiver and essentially the Tuna Tin 2 transmitter that I had kind of cut out of its circular PC board form and put in a little box. It it took some doing, but I got it going. The really tricky part, and this is kind of hard to explain. I've explained it on the, uh, on the blog, I think. If not, I'm going to put up a, another diagram. But the tricky part is what you mentioned earlier getting the right cw offset all right it's it's hard to explain but it, when you when you're using a direct conversion receiver you you could you could hear the incoming signals at two points on your dial right above zero beat or below zero beat now if you if you've got your vfo tuned so that you're receiving the upper portion you're you're not going to and then you suddenly switch over to transmit you're going to be transmitting about 600 or 800 hertz above or below where the other guy is. It's better to explain it graphically, but you, what you basically have to work out is so that when you switch the sw- throw the switch from receive to transmit, the transmit frequency is, is either brought down or brought up by about 600 hertz. This is easier said than done. <laughs> it seems like a trivial thing, but I found it was, was re- really difficult. So I had to struggle with that for a while, but um, we finally got it going. And then, then it became because I put the VFO in there, it became not the Fish Soup Seven, but there were three additional transistors in there for the VFO and the buffers, so it became the Fish Soup Ten. Hey, like that, Pete? Oh, hey, cool. Anyway, so then I got on the air with the Fish Soup Ten in true Transceive mode, and the QSOs became a whole lot easier. And I would, all, all I had to do was to remember when I was tuning in a station to tune on my dial above, tune to the above frequency, to the basically above above zero beat, because that would mean that when I switched over to transmit, my transmitter would be right on his frequency. This is similar to what you have to do if you're running like a Heathkit HW8. You have to remember on the HW8 that you're going to hear stations at two different points on the dial. And that when you're getting ready to work somebody, you better make sure that you're above the zero beat, above the point where he kind of nulls out. It's kind of hard to describe if you've never done it. But I set up my Fish Soup 10 the same way. I I put up a picture of my uh, frequency display. Pete, I didn't do this just to annoy you. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Although I did did think, wow, this is going to annoy Pete. (laughs) Because my... (laughs) My frequency display was not a 64,000 color OLED. No, it was um, a piece of index card on which I had scrawled with a um, with a with a pen the uh, the various uh, .040, .050, .060 for the seven megahertz band. And I came up with this little adapter that I put on the edge of the cap so that when I tuned, it is quite minimalist. And uh, but it works like a charm, and at like a, I think most of the time I was putting out about um, maybe two thirds of a watt, and I I made all kinds of contacts. Just about every night I'd be able to make make a contact with this thing, and it was great fun. I was using the key that Farhan gave me from India. Oh, the pump and, handle. Oh man, with the with the with the red thing on and everything else. So there was a lot of good kind of mojo, a lot of good. You know, karma in this thing—a lot of good juju, as we said. All—all all this different. There's a lot of good soul in this in this new old machine, and I had I had a lot of fun with it. And you know, then you want to go further, right? Ten transistors seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? Oh, not well, to you. Not, well, not to you. You're what? you're at the ten thousand or ten million count there with the yeah, Raspberry yeah. Um, But I, I remembered. I remember this article, and and an effort that I made, an article that appeared, again, in our beloved Sprat magazine, everyone bow your heads, Uh, anyway, uh, Sprat Autumn 2001, Sprat issue 108, there's an article in there entitled, An Experimental Transceiver, the quote, the ET1, experimental transceiver, and the 1 signifies 1 transistor. It is written by, by Glenn Yingling, W2UW, from Newark Valley, New York. And it originally appeared in 73 Magazine. It was reprinted here. But, but Glenn's idea was really brilliant. And it was, you would build a, a rig with a, a regen receiver and a crystal transceiver transmitter. And then you would switch the one FET. He used an MPF-102. And you would just have a three-pole double-throw switch. And when you put the switch in one position, the source, drain, and gate would be connected to the receiver. Throw the switch in the other direction, source, drain, and gate connected to the crystal-controlled transmitter. Wow. I mean, the parts, parts count is remarkably low. I think it was like under 20 parts total. Um, really simple. And so this thing really attracted me, and I guess, I guess a while back, maybe five or six years ago, maybe even more, I built one of these things and didn't work anybody. <laughs> it, was, it was one of these kind of disappointing experiences. Now, to make it worse, uh, Glenn wrote in, in QST about his experiences at, with the rig. He said, I'll, I'll read you from the article. Most of the QSOs were one-half to three-quarters of an hour in duration with solid copy at both ends <laughs> only once or twice was a qso terminated for poor copy on the other end my reports range from rst 339 to 569 in general my best luck was making qsos in the morning and afternoon hours yep probably because of lower noise on 40 during those times right then here's here's the one that really got me my best dx was with W0UW, Dave, in Missouri, a distance of approximately 750 miles as the crow flies, or 37,500 miles per watt. Don't rub it in, Glenn. States worked were Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Maine, Massachusetts, Maryland, uh, Missouri, Montana, North Carolina, North New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Tennessee, Virginia, Vermont, Wisconsin, West Virginia, and Ontario, Canada. Holy cow. Yeah, during most of my QSOs when I commented that my transmitter, my transceiver consisted of only 15 parts and that I was running only 20 milliwatts CW and that the power was coming from a D-cell flashlight battery, I expected some statements of amazement. Yeah, you, you would expect that, right? Instead, I mostly got a big ho-hum. This is the problem we're talking about. We've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, we? yeah, right. So I guess that it must be true about ham radio operators becoming mostly appliance operators. Glenn said it, not me. Glenn Glenn said it, not me, although I agree. However, I would like to give a special thanks to Lenny, W2BVH, who gave me a holy cow, and congrats. Indeed, it, it definitely mer- merited the holy cow. Cr- Holy cow, and congrats, and good for you, Lenny, in recognizing the genius behind Glenn's rig. Anyway, I, I failed to get Glenn's rig going, and so when I pulled it off the shelf, I, I, I knew that the receiver just wasn't inhaling. You know, and I have some painful experience with regens, and I just knew that this thing just wasn't, it wasn't doing it. And so I started looking around, Pete, for uh, another receiver. And my idea was, okay, I'm having trouble getting the whole transceiver going, but let's look around, and maybe I'll get a single FET receiver going, get that going good, because that, I think, is the hard part. Then phase two would be build, maybe on the same piece of wood, but but off to the side, a separate single FET crystal control transmitter, and then maybe try to make some contacts that way, And once I got both of the circuits going together, then I could put in the three-pole double-throw switch or or relay and do it with a single uh, FET transistor being switched in the way that uh, Glenn W2UW's ET1 worked. You see my logic? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the receiver I found, and this has been really fun, on um, AA, I think, is it AA7EE, we watch his website a lot, uh, he has a, uh, a, 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 I'll put a link up on the blog, but he has a great uh, little receiver project designed by November Zero Whiskey Victor Alpha N0WVA for a one FET regen optimized for CWS SSB. This is a really cool little regen. The parts count looks like it's about nine parts. It's it's built around an Armstrong oscillator. One thing I came to realize, Pete, as I was going through this, when you're building a regen receiver, it's probably best to think in your mind first. The first thing you're doing is you're building an oscillator, all right? An oscillator that you can throttle back to the point where the oscillation is just about to occur or occurring minimally. If you think about it that way, it becomes easier to build the regen receiver. So that's the approach I took. And the heart of this thing was uh, a coil with a tickler, kind of a variometer. And he an N0WVA actually refers to it as a variometer tickler. Now I remembered that I've had in my lung in my junk box since about nineteen ninety five uh, a coil that was given to me by my old friend Hotel India eight papa pericles perdomo. And it was, he, I remember him handing it to me and saying, this is a variometer. And it's, it's a, it looks like a big coil. I got a picture of it on the blog. And inside it, there's another coil that, that you, you can move a knob and it changes the orientation of the inner coil to the outer coil. And this allows you, of course, to, to select at will the amount of coupling between the two coils, which is perfect for this. Here's one more feature I want to mention. Think about this, Pete. Regens, you know how they always say on the regen control, if you crank it up too high, it starts to squeal, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Right, right. Why is it squealing? Because it's squealing because it's oscillating at audio frequency, right? Correct. Shouldn't be doing that, right? The idea is that this thing is going to it's going to go into oscillation, but it's going to go into oscillation at the operating frequency, correct? Correct. So all these years when we've been just accustomed to the idea that when you crank up that regen control, if you go too far, it goes into audio oscillation. Think about that. If it's working properly, it shouldn't go into audio oscillation. And N0WVA has an innovation here that I think addresses that. He has, in the source of the FET, not the standard resistor cap combination. And he indicates by using the standard resistor cap combination, In parallel combination, it either results in low audio or it squeals at audio frequency. He attributes it to those parts. He replaces them with a green LED diode, and he puts it in there, and with that diode in there, not only do you not get any audio squealing, but when you watch the diode, you can tell when you're reaching the correct point in the regeneration it flickers a little bit it gives you an audio indicate a, a visual indication of when you are at that kind of critical point right on the edge or perhaps a little bit beyond the edge of oscillation it works like a charm i'm i am blown away by this little receiver um, I, I if I, I could set the regen control to the point where i want it turn the thing off come back the next day flip on the switch and everything is set and it's at exactly the right point in the regen, and CW is pouring out of the headphones with one FET. This is really amazing. I really recommend anybody who's fooling around with regens take a look at n 0 V A circuit. But I, I, I just get a real kick out of this thing, and it's it's a it's a lot of fun, and that's been my um, kind of. I'm 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 halfway to full ET1 status, but uh, but great fun, Pete.
1: Oh yeah, I think it's terrific. And you, you know, you had some pictures on the blog, and I must compliment you on the on your remote tuning wand.
0: <laughs> Alan Walkie W two AEW commented on that also. This is because you have to deal, and I know this 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 is something that that SI fifty three fifty one aficionados will chuckle at.
1: I but
2: did.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I did it for you. I want to say, I had you in mind when I put that up there. But you have to deal with a hand capacity effects. So, that, in other words, if you have the one of the the tuning capacitors for your regen receiver, and you're just you, you're grabbing that metal knob or putting your hand even close to the to the to the to the, to the veins of the capacitor, you're going to affect the frequency of oscillation, and you're going to hear those CW signals go whoop right out, and you're not going to hear them anymore. Then you remove your hand, and whoop, they're back. So what you do is you attach a non-conducting piece of material. In my case, I had a piece of, piece of wood, and I just taped it onto the, uh, <laughs> to the to the end of the, the shaft, the tuning shaft on the variable capacitor. So I don't grab the metal. I just grab this piece of wood that is about, I guess, about two, three inches away from the actual capacitor. Therefore, no hand capacity effect. You are getting down to basic radio here, Pete. This is uh, this is as basic as it gets. This is one, <laughs> one step above a, a, a galena and a cat's whisker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it looked like a popsicle stick. What was it? No I, no, I don't think it was. No, you know what? I'm looking at it right now. You know what it is? It's half a clothespin.
1: Oh, okay. There you, you remember go. Remember those clothespins yeah, that had like yeah. a
0: spring on it back in the yeah. day? Yeah. It's, it's half a clothespin. Might have been a clothespin, one of the clothespins that was up on the roof of my house in the Dominican Republic, holding my uh, my dual band dipole together. A lot, I'm telling you, a lot of soul in this old machine, this new machine.
1: Oh yeah. Hey, oh, well, those clothespins also work for keys.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can you can make a side swiper out of them too. Yeah, yeah. We're getting carried away with the CW here, Pete. It's kind of scary.
1: Well, it's you kind know of fun. I yeah it's fun. Well, I, you know what though let's not overlook this a second uh, a lot of guys would like to homebrew <clears throat> want to immediately start out with a double conversion uh 42 transistor single sideband transceiver and, and a, they're not quite sure which end of the soldering iron is hot it's and and the pro the project I, I that's why i think this project is so ideal look what you've been able to do with so such few parts and, and it really gets you grounded in, you know, troubleshooting, putting something together, and at the end of the day, you got something that works.
0: But you know, uh, I, I think I'm not sure I'd completely agree there because I think there's a bit of irony in in these really simple projects. Sometimes, you know, Einstein says keep it simple, but not too simple. And I think one of the things I found is that, a, a, a for a beginner, a project like this might actually be too simple because, oh, okay. I mean, really, because I think, I think there's kind of a, a sweet spot of complexity for, for beginners. So I think, you know, we, we talked for years about the Michigan mighty might
2: transmitter.
0: Right. That's, that's, that's pretty good because that's actually easy to get going. You know, even if you make all kinds of mistakes in layout, the things going to oscillate, you're going to experience the joy of oscillation, direct conversion receiver, pretty good you know it, it's even though it took me 38 years to build one in most cases if you have a little bit of advice from the internet you can get that going and it's very satisfying now if you if you go down into a lower level of complexity such as the single tube single fet regen even though the circuit is real simple i mean i found myself relying on a lot of kind of ham radio tribal knowledge and background to get it going it was actually I think harder to get this thing going right than it would have been than it was to get a, a, a DC receiver going right, because there's a lot of kind of intuition there. You just look at it and you're saying, "Wait a second, how come this thing is not oscillating?" And then I remember all all all, all the conversations with you about Barkhausen criteria, right? Our old friend Barkhausen, right. right? And then okay, then that that LED in there, you have to kind of in, intuitively know. That what's going on there is they're looking for the voltage drop across a conducting diode, 0.6 volts. And this keeps the source right where you need it to have the whole thing work. And then then you have to get into a whole lot of kind of, I guess, noodling and haggling <laughs> about the fixed capacitors and the variable capacitors you put in there to get this thing at the right spot in the frequency spectrum and given the correct tuning range. You know what I'm saying? Right. So. And then, and then if you if you you've, if you handle the the input from the antenna wrong, the whole thing shuts down and it doesn't do anything. So that's why I say I think this might be a little too simple for for beginners. But 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 right if you've been struggling with this stuff for a long time, and you're you know not worried about ulcers and high blood pressure because yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they can yeah. do that too. Hey, I got on the air, though, when I was on the air with, I think, yeah, with the Fish Soup, uh, I think it was the Fish Soup 7 I got on, I was making one of my early contacts with this thing, and I experienced the same thing you did, where somebody heard it. It was amazing. I made this one, I made a few contacts with a guy who's very frequently on 7050. 7050 is a good frequency for all this kind of stuff, because it's the, uh, the straight key club, the straight key century club. And there are a bunch of folks who are into kind of QRP, minimalist stuff with straight keys. And so it's a, it's a good kind of a watering hole frequency. And you can always find somebody there. Well, you can usually find somebody there who's willing to, to struggle to pull your QRP signal out of the noise. And a guy that I find their frequency is K1BUP. And so I was talking to him. And I was quite pleased that, wow, I'm working K1B, K1BUP with my little QRP rig. And then, lo and behold, I get an email afterwards from Dave, call sign KM6CPF. In Canada, his call sign is Victor Alpha 3, November India Alpha. And he monitored the QSO. And he was a solder Smoke listener, and he was kind enough to send a, a message saying, hey, I heard you talking to K1BUP. And that's pretty wow. cool. That oh, was a lot yeah, of fun. I yeah, mean, yeah, I made, yeah. Made yeah, my cool. day. So, yeah. um, so anyway, the... Um, the adventures continue. As the winter settles in, this will be something I'm gonna to continue to work on. I, I'm gonna to try to build the uh the, the the single FET uh transmitter to accompany the uh, N zero W V A one um, FET regen. I'll try to make some contacts with kind of separate transmit receiver and then once I get that all going I'll try to combine it a la W um uh, W2UW via Glenn Yingling's ET1. Anyway, stay tuned. We're operating at the opposite end of the transistor count spectrum.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm kind of amazed when you read the list of states that he worked. Holy cow. With, with 20 milliwatts. 20 milliwatts and, CW crystal control. And, and and I guess the other piece of that is how efficient is his antenna? I mean, it, it you almost you almost conclude that he's maybe getting ten milliwatts mm-hmm. in, in, into the into the by the time you take the losses right, and let, let you me me, the line the let me
0: read you some more. The regen is somewhat broad and other signals can always be heard, but it gives good performance. Indeed it does. In fact, if there is interference you can always tune to the other side of zero beat and get rid of it. Here's his antenna. Using my center-fed ZEP antenna tuned to 40 meters, I have worked 23 states in Canada, averaging about one CUSO per day. However, in my defense, I would give the following as a reason for the poor showing. Poor showing, he's saying. After After every CUSO, I would sit back, pat myself on the back, and marvel for a long time reveling in the glory of making a QSO with such a mini-rig. you got to love this guy. This is great. Yeah. However, the most credit should be given to those on the other end who are willing to put up with such a weak signal station. Oh, man, Glenn, you're too modest. Yeah. He, he just earned QRP hero status for me.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: There you go, Glenn. So
1: so maybe maybe he's getting 10 milliwatts. <laughs> I know. Maybe, maybe 10. In, and he, into the environment yeah the and, he met, and and he works
0: 23 states
1: yeah and Canada
0: wow. Holy wow. cow, with this thing I got I have I think I have the, the 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 um uh um the schematic for this rig up on the um up on the on the blog it it was it re- reappeared in a different form in sprat hold on a second I got it right here I always love to refer to sprat Sprat 137, the winter 2008-2009 edition, um, our good friend G3XBM, Roger, uh, from Burwell, Cambridge, who's, uh, we, we, we follow his blog quite closely, he's always doing interesting stuff, but he, he takes this same concept, he calls it the F E he says it uses just 14 parts, and the title of the article is an ultra-simple 80-meter CW transceiver. He basically takes the same concept and uh, and puts it on 80. Um, he doesn't have the, uh, the... The receiver is much similar to the ET1. It doesn't have any of the innovations that uh, N0WVA has in his, but... Um, he claims that it has a, a, a this, his receiver has a sensitivity of negative 100 dBm,
2: hmm. Hmm.
0: and he, he's he's putting out 18 milliwatts at 12 volts. And hmm. uh, anyway, it's it's really cool. The concept, it's it's a lot of fun. As I said, not for the faint of heart, and I don't wow. think and I don't think really for the for the beginner beginner you got to be in the game for a while because it can be so frustrating that it could be the beginning and the end of your ham radio
1: career <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we don't as, as they that. cart as they cart you off in a straitjacket
0: <laughs> <Just> screaming <laughs> about regeneration
1: yeah <laughs> last thing we heard he was talking
0: about a tickler coil and regeneration i don't understand
1: yeah yeah, oh.
0: yeah. hey um anyway great stuff good fun um, what a, I guess one other technical thing, we haven't talked about this. Well, we talked about it, I think, a little bit last time, our, our new friend, the Antuino. Yeah. Interesting device, really cool device. Uh, Farhan's still kind of working on it, and he, he put out some, some suggested mods for the Antuino. But I have already put it to good use. I know you've been using it also. Yes. And it's a, a real simple, really intriguing device. And I uh, I'm, I haven't put the mods in that uh, that Farhan suggested, but it was these mods were based on observations people had made, mostly about the dynamic range of the device. And he's uh, he's he's come up with some suggested imp- improvements, and that's that's part of the fun of of all these projects is that you realize this is ham radio, it's it is experimentation. If you want something, if you want plug and play. Yeah, you really should look someplace else because this is all part of a, a learning process that we're all in. That, I think that's why Farhan got into the whole Bidex business in the first place was to give something to people that they could experiment and play with. Some guys don't understand that, and they become irate when it doesn't perform as you know reliably as the $6,000 radio that they had their eye on. Well, you know like we said it's not plug and play but but the Antuino it was it was really useful when I got it and I think the mods are going to make it even more useful one thing i found that was really interesting for me was the origins of the Antuino you know it, it has the, the device has its its origins in farhan's work with cubesats the satellites that uh, that he was sending up he sent up two so far and he needed in effect a kind of a spectrum analyzer that was small enough for him to fit it inside, or I think an antenna analyzer, small enough for him to fit it inside the tiny little CubeSat. These CubeSats are about about half the size of a shoebox. Picture it that way. But he needed something that he could stick in there to check the SWR, I think on the tape measure antenna that they were using for one of the satellites. And that was how the uh, the Antuino... Was 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 born. It's got an Arduino in there too, of course. Hence the Eno. Um, but but a lot of a lot of a lot of good stuff. A lot of fun there there, Pete.
1: Yeah, you know what I found it's very useful is uh, you in building networks. Sometimes you won't have the exact uh, numbers of uh, uh, ca- capacitors, values of capacitors, or you have a little different core, and and you do some calculations and say okay that ought to work well a a really good way to verify it is put it on the Antuino and then you'll know if it works because you get a graphical display you you actually can see you know is the cutoff frequency where you you think it should be or is it not the other thing i found too which was kind of interesting is uh in in building a low pass filter I, i found that you can really tune that up by by how you put the turns on the inductors you know, yeah. you, typically you just wind it, <laughs> and, and I, I made some runs by compressing or expanding the turns, and and you could see it dramatically changes in, oh. in some case some cases by um, as much as a megahertz. So, so that so, was really useful. So, so yeah.
0: important, and that's a, that's an important piece of tribal knowledge. I mean, that's an example. Yeah. So when you when you wind these little toroidal coils, if it says put you know twenty three turns on there, that'll get you in the ballpark. But there's a lot of variables in there, and you might not be exactly at the inductance value that the design's called for. Uh, And I think a lot of us then turn to the almost all-digital electronic uh, uh, LC meter to check it out. But then, as you said, it's it's even different when you put it in the circuit, when you put it in there. Yeah. Things move around a bit. So that's the old trick. You know, you can vary on one of these toroids the inductance just by... You know, compressing the, the turns a little bit or letting them spread out a little bit on the the toroid, and once you get them right, then you could put some nail polish or Q-dope on it and and nail it down, and so then it then it becomes uh, kind of fixed and right where you want it. But that's that's a that's a that's a real good trick for me. I mean, one of the 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 really important revelations provided by the Antuino was how not clean. The uh, the signal coming out of my homebrew transceivers was and and I, I realized that where I had kind of fallen down in this area was the bandpass filter in the bit oh access. yeah
1: just wind those coils <laughs> plug them in there right well not only that I mean I, my my thinking on
0: it had been wrong I've been thinking well look all I really need to do is suppress the the unwanted sideband right. coming out of the the mixer and heck that thing is like you know what? Twelve megahertz away, so yeah. it, it doesn't like it has. It doesn't have to be sharp. It just has to be you know sharp enough to knock down something that's twelve megahertz away. So I mean, how important does it does it have to be? And so I would kind of ins- where where Farhan's design had like four elements of a bandpass filter in there. I'd go with two. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It'll it's yeah, that'll
0: do it. But no, the other function of the bandpass filter is to knock down a lot of the spurs and birdies that come up. And some of them can be quite close to your operating frequency. Correct. And so the narrower, the better. The steeper the skirts, the better. And the the attenuation off frequency, the higher, the better. And so after Mm -hmm. I looked at the output of some of my beloved Bidex transmitters, I immediately, you know, this is one of those it's like an emergency, man. I got to I got to fix this bandpass filter because even if I'm not on the air, it's just sitting there on the bench bothering me, you know? Yeah. So I would then redesign the bandpass filter, put it in there and get it working, get it working properly. So three cheers to um, to to Farhan for for the Antuino. But Pete, that brings us to outer space. Ooh, yes. That's something we're going to talk about. Uh, here, we have a space segment. Uh, in the show uh, this week, because this summer was the fiftieth anniversary, not only of Woodstock but of the Apollo
1: Eleven moon landing. And uh, where were you, Pete? Oh, I was. I was married. Uh, I was working. Was out of the service. I think we had uh, at that time one child. All yeah. Right. All right. I was. I was living in Southern California at the time, working for Douglas Aircraft. All right. Well, I, I was ten years old in the suburbs of, of New York City,
0: and remember. Well, wow, vividly the uh, the watching on the black and white tv the the uh, the apollo 11 uh, moon landing and we just went through the uh, the this summer was the was the 50th anniversary you know one thing i want to mention you know there's so many books out there a lot of great books about the whole space program but i guess earlier in the summer i, I had the tv on and the the space correspondent for cnn i think it's miles miles davis i think's his name a really good space science journalist he's the fellow who he had this accident he lost his arm in a kind of a freak accident like um a ship yes uh, you know pilot pilot yeah a a piece of luggage fell on his arm and 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 just it didn't seem like a serious injury but they had to take the arm off miles o'brien miles o'brien man you, you you know you know everything um but anyway he in the course of interviewing somebody he just casually mentioned Uh, a book written by the astronaut Michael Collins. Collins was, of course, the command module pilot on Apollo 11. He's the guy who stayed in lunar orbit while Armstrong and Aldrin went down to the surface. And the name of the book is Carrying the Fire by Michael Collins. And O'Brien just casually mentioned, he just said, of course, this is the best book ever written by the space program, about the space program. And the person he was interviewed kind of agreed. So I said, "Well, I got to get this book." So I picked it up. It looks like a tome. It's like 500 pages. Pete, it's a page turner. It's unbelievable. Collins is such a great writer, such a you know a, a, a very kind of <laughs> down to earth writer describing kind of his evolution as a kind of a train from a trainee pilot to uh, to a test pilot entering the the space program. His, his flights, his early flights in the Gemini program, and then all kinds of really really human stuff. I, I laughed out loud. I was reading it last night, and I, my wife said to me, what are you laughing at? he Just the way he tells the story, he, he said that he was recounting the time when he got selected for the Apollo 11 mission, and he admits, he said, I can't remember how I got the news. He goes, I know that seems incredible because this is one of the most important pieces of news that you could get in your life, but I just don't remember who called me or who told me or how I found out. I just can't remember. And then he puts in parentheses, and I'm kind of embarrassed to ask anybody about it. Like, I really can't call up Neil Armstrong and say, hey, Neil. Do you remember calling to tell me about that trip we were going to take? <laughs> <laughs>
2: you yeah, know, you going.
0: remember that one when we went to the moon? <laughs> yeah. But the book is, is filled with kind of anecdotes, and he's got a really great style. You know, I, I always, I've always felt a, a special connection to Mike Collins because, for a couple of reasons. One, he yeah. was actually born at U.S. Embassy Rome his mm. his father was defense attache in italy and he was he was born at embassy rome so he is in many in many ways like my kids an embassy kid and then after the space program he he wanted to go to work and he went to work for the state department mm. he became the uh the assistant secretary for public affairs for the department of state and so he, he's, he was he was interested in that that kind of work also but I recommend the book. That's our book recommendation of the of the fall, Pete. Really, really good.
1: You, you know, we also had the first cybercrime in outer space. <laughs> oh, I, I read about yeah. that. Oh, that's kind of an ugly story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she's from Alabama. I, I don't, don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we'll kind of keep it on a high level here, Pete. We're yeah, talking yeah. about the good stuff. Yeah. Hey, one,
0: other, one other thing I wanted to mention, we've been talking a little bit about a, a microsatellite program run out of China with amateur radio involvement, it's a microsat that they put in lunar orbit, which I thought was pretty cool. But then even cooler was that they put a, they have a camera on board this little cube set that they put around the moon, and they pointed the camera back at Earth during the the solar eclipse that we experienced in the southern hemisphere earlier in the summer, and they've got a picture of the solar eclipse on Earth. Uh, taken from an amateur radio microsat in orbit of the moon. Wow. That's pretty awesome. I got a picture of that up on the blog, so anybody wants to take a look at that. Another big event was um, LightSail 2. This was a a small satellite placed in orbit by a private organization, uh, the Planetary Society. Carl Sagan was deeply involved with this group. And what they wanted this was kind of a proof proof of concept mission, and I think this is something that, for a variety of reasons, is of interest to to radio amateurs. The idea was to test the 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 notion. It's I think it's not a notion. It's well established that you can sail in space using the energy of photons hitting a sail. Oh yeah. So you go up in space, you have this, you have the small satellite and then it deploys this very thin kind of mylar solar sail. And then when photons from the sun hit it, they exert a force on it and the thing begins to accelerate. The thing is, it continues to accelerate because the, the photons are always hitting with the same energy, the same velocity. So you're, you're getting a continuous acceleration and if you just leave this thing going for a while it can it can accelerate to a significant fraction of the speed of light so anyway they, they wanted to test this they put the satellite in orbit and then they deployed the sail and they wanted to see if this the pressure on the sail from the sun's rays would cause the satellite to rise to a higher orbit and it did pretty cool for light sail too in the planetary society we have some blog posts on this if you're interested. And then finally a bit of bad news just yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, but uh India made a really daring and innovative attempt to uh to land on the moon. They have a they got a satellite into lunar orbit, which is a major achievement. Three cheers for India there. But apparently the the rover that they were they were sending down to the surface developed some sort of problem. I think within a kilometer of the surface and they lost contact with it. It's I'm not sure if it's still determined whether the thing was lost or not, but it's not looking good. But I mean I think this is this is a, a, a reminder of something that you read all the time when you read about the space program. Space is hard. This is difficult oh, yeah. stuff. It's 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 hard to do. And and God knows we've we've had our, our share of failures. The Russians have had many failures. I think the the failure rate for landing on mars is something like 25 or 50% and and so three cheers for india for taking the try and i think they'll they'll get it on the on the next go but it it this is hard hard stuff to do but really interesting all these projects out there in space
1: well yeah you know the thing is if everything went right the first time you, you might ne- never understand that there's a possibility of, of some other alternative that that could happen and and when it does happen now it causes you to rethink everything that you do, and uh, I think you're right. Next time they'll be successful. So that's not all bad news. Collins, in
0: Collins' book, time and again, he's talking about how scared they were, how nervous they were, because they realized that they had, there were so many systems, they all had to work just right. And so many of them, if they failed, those astronauts weren't coming back. and 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 they they knew it was uh this was a perilous perilous thing so uh yeah i know some people in india were really bitterly disappointed i got a message from farhan about it but hey this is you know this goes with the territory right par for the course and keep at it um anyway good stuff great great news from from space there hey pete time for the uh the mailbag
1: before you do that, I, I wanted to just uh, make a small input here. Something that I uh, read about the other day, and I sent you the information on Flex Radio and Raytheon. Uh-huh. I thought this is pretty amazing. Tell us. Uh, okay, uh, Flex Radios, you know, they're they're kind of they're on the leading edge of software defined radios. They recently got a contract uh, from the government. in in conjunction with uh, partnering up with raytheon to develop a new hf communication system for the u.s air force Uh, along about 1956 collins radio got one of these when curtis lemay said i want single sideband in the airplanes and and that got launched but it's interesting to see and i think he I think that Gerald Youngblood, the the CEO of uh, Flex Radio and, and really the the brains behind the whole thing says, kind of interesting to see that something that started in somebody's garage <laughs> and now ends up being a commercial – those were his words, you know, now ends up being a commercial business. So there's uh, – I think there are a couple of development contracts, but one of the partners is, uh, is Flex and Raytheon and – it's interesting to see how uh, an amateur product now may form the backbone of the next uh, U.S. Air Force communications system. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Youngblood also said, you know, what we develop here may have commercial applications back into the amateur radio field. So it's it's only going to get more amazing as, as time goes on. So that's something to watch.
0: Very cool. Very cool, Pete. Thanks for bringing that up. Hey, one other thing I thought you were going to mention. Something that we've been neglecting in the last few episodes. You know what I'm talking
1: Shameless about. Shameless Commerce Division. Man, how, it just it just shows
0: you how unconcerned we are about the the kind <laughs> of commercial oh. aspects. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the yeah. Shameless Commerce Division. You know, we uh, we ask everybody if you're making a purchase. Use the little Amazon box in the upper right-hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog page. Start there. Start your search. You know, plug in whatever it is that you're hoping to buy through Amazon. You know, Lamborghini, Maserati. That's okay. Plug McLaren. it in there. McLaren. A McLaren. McLaren. Anything. Because cha ching, just by going through that site, Solder Smoke gets five percent of the purchase from from Bezos and the suits at uh, Amazon Empire. Which is now headquartered right down the road here, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about stopping by and saying hello. Um. Anyway, uh, that, that's that's a great way to do it. Great way to support the uh, the podcast. Doesn't cost you anything. It's all money out of Bezos' pocket, which which makes it even better, right? So do it that yeah. way and, and and support the Solder Smoke podcast. We'd we'd appreciate. We thank you for
1: your support. All right, can it, we do the podcast? Time to-, to keep in mind, Christmas is only. Three months away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's right.
0: So Christmas is a-coming. Do your shopping Yeah. through the smoke blog. Thanks very much. Hey, uh, the mailbag. Bong. We already mentioned Eric Sears' uh, interview on QSO Today, um, and, and I, I got a chuckle out of this. You guys should go to Eric Guth's uh, 4Z1UG QSO Today page and listen to the, the interview. Uh, Eric has been building SSB transceivers lately, too. And, Pete, this is something you and I both can identify with. He admits to having built three of the same homebrew SSB transceiver. Because if you build one, you got to build another one, right? Yeah. Make it a little bit better. Make it a little 40. bit prettier. <laughs> Forty. Yeah. <laughs> Forty. <laughs> Pete carries
1: it to to, 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 to to the nth degree. But. But, you know, you, you don't pass over the two quickly. Wasn't he the guy that built these transceivers to take in the bush? That's it. That's what it's all about. He yeah. He built the,
0: the, the BMI, the ZL, yeah. ZL2 BMI uh, transceivers, double sideband, and he built two versions of them. I'm, a, I'm of course, fond of the first version because it was all discreet. And it yeah. was just uh, to go out to the bush with this little double sideband transceiver and make contact with folks back home, as you were out there in the in the New Zealand uh, bush, he later came up with a different version of it using any 602 chips, which is cool too. But uh, but I am kind of fond of the first version. But uh, he himself has gone on to build um, uh, SSB homebrew rigs. Here's another interesting thing: his profession, Anglican minister. Oh, there you go. Another one another you know, george dobbs you know yeah rest in peace but uh you know there there seems to be something about this job also the name pete you know he's not his name is not pete but we've discovered more pete's involved in in ham radio there seems to be a connection with the with the name
1: yeah Uh, i just mentioned that in passing st peter
0: (laughs) st peter there you go there you go hey uh um there's another. There's another uh, member of the Satter Smoke community who was recently on QSO today. And that's Dino Pappas, KL0S. Very interesting interview, uh, recently on QSO today. Take a listen to Dino. He's doing great work down there in Williamsburg, Virginia. <clears throat> spreading the word, helping out new radio amateurs. Good stuff. Pete, we got we got a message, and I know you like this one from Andrew ZL2PD, speaking of down under, speaking of Kiwiland. He came. He was the guy who developed what he called the sugar cube VFO. Oh, I knew you would love that one. Oh, uh, yeah. That was man. that was so cool. It's this tiny little SI 5351 VFO, right? Right? About the size of a sugar cube or slightly bigger. Y- yeah. And he got it working and it looks it looks great. It just it, and he and he built it so it could be something you could plop plop in to any any rig and I I think I got it up on the blog. If not, we'll get it there, but uh if you're interested in a really small uh footprint uh, VFO Andrews at L two B P D has just a thing. Hey, um we got a nice email from a guy whose call sign is so similar to yours. Uh Alan, N eight WQ. Right? Ooh, yeah. Close. I didn't even realize it caught my eye. And he wrote about how grateful he was for your report about getting free samples from from mini circuits. And he yeah. he wrote and got some himself. So good 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 stuff there. We got an email from a relatively new ham who shows great potential, Richard N5RWF. He's out in Oklahoma. He's uh, listening to the podcast and, and, and reading the Solder Smoke books, and that and he admits that he can't you know, make hide. he can't he can't figure out almost any of it. But he's enjoying reading and He's enjoying listening. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. keep at it, Richard. It'll, it'll come. Yeah. And he and he points out, and I, I really I found this really touching. In an effort to understand better and to improve his performance even faster, while reading and listening, he's wearing a beret. Oh, that'll work. He can't go wrong. Yeah. Good good on you there, uh, uh, Richard. Uh, he, and and he's, also, he's also picked up on the whole roadkill thing because he's been coming across um, old satellite receivers that people have kind of put out on the curb, and he's stripping them for parts. This guy's got the right instincts. Wearing a beret, reading the book, listening to the podcast, picking up roadkill electronics. Richard, you got a bright future in ham radio, my friend. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, this is something really cool. Uh, Peter, VK2EMU, Uh, I I was talking in the last podcast about my love for uh, mechanical filters. And two people sent me really great mechanical filters. And I'm going to talk about that in the next podcast. But thank you to both of you. And I'll I'll mention it specifically next time. But Peter sent an ad from an Australian ham magazine from the 1950s for the Collins filters. The ad itself is a work of art, and I think we we need to circulate this a little bit more widely. So I'll put that up on the on the on the <clears throat> blog here in the in the few days ahead. Uh, Phil w one pje Whiskey One Papa Juliet Echo wrote to us about a new semiconductor, an LD transistor, capable of putting out a lot of RF at very high efficiency from the uh, NXP Semiconductor Company. And, Pete, when we when you and I get, get beyond our current uh, QRP uh, enthusiasm, when we revert to the bad old ways of QRO, um, we'll have to look into these LDMOS transistors. Or go into the garage like Steve did and dig out the old helicrafters. Oh, Steve did. He did that. <laughs> he pulled it out, and he said goodbye to QRP, and he dragged this thing. It was an HT-44, I think it is. 41. It was a 41 Forty-one. It's forty-one. That's right. That's just the amplifier. Yeah. And you and I both kind of said, "Well, okay." And I pointed out that it's the good time of the year for this because soon
1: he's going to need it to help heat up the shack. Yeah. Well, I th- thought the other thing was interesting. He he had to have a large dolly <laughs> to move the thing <laughs> around. <laughs> I mean, that thing that thing is hernia city. I, I bet it weighed a hundred pounds. Well, I mean, it's not as bad as the, as, as
0: the folks who work on R390 receivers.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, Grayson Evans told us that he had to actually install kind of a, a crane, you know, kind of like yeah. the thing that you see where, they, where they're lifting the car engine out yeah. of the car and they have the crane on, on the velocity channel. And they
1: lift, yeah, chain fall.
0: It, yeah. And it, he, he kind of needed something similar for, you know, just maneuvering the R390 around on the workbench.
1: But, but didn't Grayson also say that he trained his wife so she could help him with that? He, he, he trained his wife so, so she could help him. Oh,
0: man. I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not recommending that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. it gets to that point, you might want to steer steer clear and start selling the R390s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. One more, one more bit of mail. This was kind of fun. Walter Kilo Alpha 4 Kilo X-ray X-ray down there in Orlando built this really fantastic Alfresco on a board 75-meter transceiver. Remember we put the picture of this guy? He was he was showing it at a ham fast and he had it out yeah. out there. Oh, man, it just looks so good. There was a line from his message that, I, that really got to me. He said, this rig is, quote, the only one in the world with RF amplifiers that use, that use model airplane engine mufflers as the heat sink core. Yeah, yeah, Wow. Yeah. This thing is just destined to fly. Magic carpet territory there, Walter. Thanks for sharing that with us, Pete. That brings us to the end of the agenda. One, Unless one you've got a few minutes, things.
1: One hour and 20 minutes. We've you gone got on that, that long. You got that, Ralph? you got that, Ralph? One hour and 20
0: minutes. Man, well, I, th- I thought we were under time. I guess we have so much to talk to we will be back more regularly. Yes. I hope we'll be doing this more frequently. We'll see, but definitely we'll we definitely revert to a minimum of one per month as we move into the into the into the winter months, schedule permitting. We both have other responsibilities, Pete. I know you do too. A lot. You're a busy guy. You're going to be taking off and doing something. And right now, as soon as we terminate the program, that, that's why Pete is so dedicated. He got up at at zero dark thirty out there in California. This
1: before zero dark way
0: before. <laughs> Pete, thanks for doing that. Great to talk you to you again. You bet. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Thanks, guys. Let's
2: we'll see you. See ya.
1: Ooh, that's awesome.
2: The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about SolderSmoke, Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive solder smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the solder smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you, but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!